Hello, everyone, and welcome to Jersey Jump Shot, New Jersey's first and only podcast dedicated exclusively to college basketball in the Garden State. We always say it's a long season with a lot of twists and turns, but I'm not sure Nostradamus could have predicted the latest twist for Rutgers, which has won three straight games, including Saturday's body slam of 11th-ranked Wisconsin since transfer guard Jeremiah Williams became eligible after a court order ended his NCAA gambling suspension. Jeremiah is a Chicago native who played at Temple, transferred to Iowa State, ruptured an Achilles tendon, recovered, and arrived on the banks last summer. His eligibility has changed the complexion of this Scarlet Scarlet Knights team, and he is joining us on Jersey Jumpshot. Jeremiah Williams, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Thanks for being on. And I want to start at the beginning, I guess. How did you wind up at Rutgers? What was the connection? Um, of course, I was in the portal and uh, Coach Smoke reached out to me. Had a couple calls with Coach Pico after uh, he initially reached out to me and then came on a visit and, uh, you know, it went off from there. So did you did you know Coach Smoke? Did you know anybody or they just kind of saw who you were and figured he might be a good fit? Um, I'm pretty sure... They just saw who I was. Coach Smoke briefly recruited me while he was at LIU, like briefly called around, called, talked to me, my my dad, but nothing too serious. So he was pretty familiar with me, I would say. Got it. Who recruited you out of high school, if you don't mind me jogging your memory? Yeah. Um, I mean, just kind of the the main schools, of course, Temple, where I originally committed to, St. Bonaventure, and then Wichita State. Nice. Hey, Jeremiah, let me ask you this. Achilles, is, that's a tough, tough rehab is my understanding. Take us through that. How tough was it? What was that injury like? You know, and what was the hardest part of that coming back from it? Yeah, it was, it was very tough. Um, I tore my Achilles in October, and I probably wasn't able to walk until mid-January, I would say. So it was, it was a lot of time off my feet, first time pretty much like anyone kind of having to just live a little bit differently being on the scooter all day. And I was in Iowa, it was snowing all the time on that scooter. So it was pretty rough. And then, uh, yeah, I would say probably the hardest time is just not being able to walk, not being able to play basketball. Uh, and then the rehab, like the beginning stages of the rehab where you're, you're kind of, you're not relearning how to walk, but it, I remember my first time actually walking, it felt a little funky. What was it so, like the first time you actually got back on the court and, you know, were cleared to play? Was there any, you know, psychological hurdles to overcome there? Um, no, I've never was ever like scared that I was going to get hurt again. I mean, I was just I just I do remember my first workout at Iowa State. I was able to play. I was just where I was able to work out. I was so happy, just filled up with joy. I like, couldn't stop smiling. I was like, oh, this is it's, it's a different type of feeling when you're able to play again after you're out for so long. Speaking of different types of feelings, Jeremiah, tell us what it's like at Rutgers, how it's different to play for Steve Peichel compared to your previous stops, uh, Iowa State, Temple, much different types of places. What's the biggest thing that that stands out as different here in this program? Yeah, I love Coach Peichel. Uh, I kind of alluded to this um, when I committed here, and one of the reasons why I committed here is he's just 
an all-around great person. I mean, you know, usually, especially in this business, you know, you hear a lot about maybe someone's a – and don't get me wrong, Coach Pike was a great coach, but you hear a lot of people talk about their X's and O's or they're a great defensive guy or they're great at this. But Coach Pike was just a great dude all around. He cares for his players. And, like, I think that's no secret. I mean, he's a great guy. Jeremiah, what was the whole uh... – what was it like for you as you went through the whole process of trying to become eligible and, and waiting? You didn't know your status. How tough was that to, to have to go through that whole process? Yeah, I mean, it was one of the most stressful things. I mean, I was at home from, I don't know, I think I transferred from Iowa State in May, dealing with a certain situation from May all the way until I got cleared uh, the day before the Michigan game. So, I mean, it, all I, it was one of the most stressful processes I've been through. So you get on the plane to go to Michigan, you know, 10 days ago. And tell us about that. Like explain, tell us a story about finding out you could finally put the uniform on. Yeah. Um, initially we thought I was going to be cleared for the Penn state game. And um, I'll just say when I was told that I was, very excited. I, I mean, I didn't know what to do with myself. I didn't know my pregame routine. I was up all night, and then uh, fast forward, didn't play the Penn State game, a little let down, and then on the plane on the way to Michigan, uh, uh, the AD Fat Hop showed me I was able to play, and then you know, I think I got all my excitement out of the way, uh, getting ready for the Penn State game, and uh. I think I was just ready to play the Michigan game. Uh, I mean, it was it was a dream come true, especially at a place that I've grew up watching my whole life and me and my family. What what was that like? That moment? I mean, you hadn't played a game in nearly two years. You know, when you finally got back on the court, what was that like? Yeah, it was it was everything. I mean, I was blessed to be in that position, blessed to be back to be able to play, blessed that my teammates embraced me the way that they did. Um, I mean, like, sitting out for 709 days, there, there was no better feeling, especially playing the game that I've been playing my whole life. I mean, it was, it was a lot of excitement, a lot of rush, and blessed I was able to produce and help win. How many days? 709. How do you know the number? Um, someone told me. I'm not sure. Some, someone told me. But you you mentioned that a couple of times. That number means something to you. Yeah, it definitely does. It's, it's, it's insane to me. I don't think I've ever went that long without – I haven't went a week without playing basketball before my injury. So, so how, Jeremiah, how do, you, how do you step on the court after 709 days of not playing in a game, like a real game? How do you step on the court and have no rust? Like how does that happen? Yeah, um – I think I was just trying to mentally prepare myself for the moment while I was out. Uh, as I've mentioned, as as soon as it, I tore my Achilles and I was in the back room of the training room of Iowa State and they told me, I immediately just kind of told myself, just stay positive through it all. I just, you know, I always told myself this was going to be a great comeback. Always just mentally fed myself positivity. And I think that kind of helped my transition onto the court. And then, uh, once I kind of got onto the court, I just kept working, kept working. And, you know, luckily I was, you know, Coach Pike has mentioned, I was able to practice the whole season. So I was able to, you know, work through some kinks and c continue to get better. 
What's the closest thing you you played to a game over that stretch? Did you play any pickup ball, any scrimmages? Like, were you able to do anything at all that resembled live action? Um, not much until I came into Rutgers. Uh, I was at home for about three months in the summer, trying to figure out where I was, where my next, my next stop was gonna be, and um. I mean, during that time, I was still kind of in the rehab phase, so I was doing a lot of rehab at home by myself or at the gym, my local gym next to me. I was going in there trying to do some rehab stuff by myself, shooting, rebounding by myself. And I mean, that was the most I was doing. I was playing some, playing some one-on-one with you know some kids from my neighborhood, just trying to see where I was at, you know, right. figure out where my game was at. But uh, I didn't play much pickup before coming to. Uh, before coming to records and playing in, in the summertime. Let's talk about your teammates. You had you had some teammates shift their roles to make room for you in the lineup. Obviously, it's working really well. Uh, what do you want to say about those teammates and what kind of conversations you had with them and what they said to you about, you know, busting into the lineup at this late stage of the season? Yeah, I mean, as you see, we got a, a great group of guys. I mean, everyone has been locked in. Everyone has had one goal in mind, and that's just to win. And I think I think it shows. I mean, we we try to do anything out there, you know, we can to win. We're locked in for every play defensively. Everyone in here, everyone on the team steps up, talks, tries to be a leader and provides what they can for the team. And I think right now we're just giving our all with each other, pouring into each other. We trust each other. And I think, you know, we got one common goal. Why is this team so good defensively right now? Yeah, I mean, other than, you know, we we got the pieces to do it and we got the coach to do it. Um, I think we're all, like, like I said, we're all clicking. We all have one goal in mind. Uh, we, we've been locked in. We've been competing. We've been having really good practices also. I, I think that's the key. We've been having really good practices, competing, competing. We play we play a lot of uh, – <laughs> we do a decent amount of one-on-one in practice. So, you know, that, that that's going to test you to see if you can stop someone in a one-on-one setting. So – you know, that's the key to defense, just competing. What What is it like, you know, kind of defending out there alongside guys like, uh, you know, Cliff Amore and, and more Mag? Um, I mean, those guys are studs defensively. You got Cliff swatting anything that comes to the rim, anything you put on the backboard. I mean, and then you got Mawai, one of the most active guys in the country, strong, one of the strongest guys in the country. He can switch one through five. Veteran guy, same with Cliff, veteran guy. So he, he knows what it is. And, I mean, these guys want to win. And you can't win without playing defense. And they're tremendous defensive players. And I'm, I'm definitely blessed to, you know, play alongside of them. Jeremiah, you mentioned the one-on-one drill, which I've seen before and over the years. I've seen Steve do that, hold that drill in practice. Who did he pair you up with most often? My pair is usually Derek Simpson or Austin Williams. So what with Simpson? What's that like? Give us a sense for the for the for the man on man experience going against Simpson. What that's yeah, been like for you and like for him? Yeah, De- Derek is. We we do full court one on one. So right, full court and half court one on ones. Derek is, as we know, one of the quickest, fastest guards you know in the conference, maybe in the country. Got got a pull up game. So you know you got to be on your toes with Derek and give him some space or try to disrupt his flow, but. Other than that, he's a great guard. It's a great competition playing one-on-one with him every day. And, you know, you know, we make each other better. At the end of the Wisconsin game, the student section was chanting MVP at your direction. What, what was that moment like for you? Did you hear those chants? 
Yeah, I did. I mean, it was it was great to be. That's my first game in Jersey Mike's to be embraced like that. I mean, it was definitely a great feeling. Give me a sense for a notable interaction you've had, Jeremiah, on campus with Rutgers fans, students, uh, anybody who's been in your phone in the past week and a half. Like, what's 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 someone said to you that really stood out? Um, unfortunately, I'm not on campus too often, but at one of our open practices earlier in the year, someone came up to me, and it meant a lot to me. They said, uh, it looks like I've never been hurt. So I think that was uh, – Something that it probably also gave me a little confidence boost. Like, okay, I still do look normal or maybe even better than I was before. So, you know, I think that was the coolest thing someone's ever said to me. Someone outside of the program who, like, didn't see you every day said that? Yeah, it was an open practice. and Like a fan? Yeah, a fan. You know, we have one open practice before the year where, you know, we have our fans show up and they watch a practice and we compete. And, no, no, that was a cool compliment. And that's kind of the moment when you knew, hey, maybe I'm I'm back, maybe I'm, I'm ready to go. That's good to hear someone else say it. Yeah, I think it was just good for to hear someone else say it. Yeah, oh, that's a good story. You never know. See, fans, fans, you never know the impact they'll have. All right, one more for me, uh, Jeremiah. You're from Chicago, right? I got to ask you this question. Deep dish pizza or New Jersey thin crust pizza? Which one's better? I'm going Chicago pizza all around, but I do need some – some recommendations for some pizza spots out here. I've been eating at Krispies and Papa John's. So, oh, Papa John's, say it ain't so, Steve. <laughs> Papa John's. All right, folks, Rutgers fans, hit Jeremiah Williams with your local pizza recommendations. We know there's a lot of good joints in New Brunswick and the surrounding area. See, Jeremiah, you you come on our show, you do an interview with us. And then you get some help with some pizza, right? It's a, it's a, it's a two-way street here. <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Congrats on your great, uh, great debut with Rutgers, and we'll see you on the court soon. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, Jeremiah Williams. Uh, lot to thought to uh, lot to discuss with him, Steve. I mean, what a tremendous uh, sort of third, two thirds of the way season addition to the Jersey college basketball scene. Well, Rutgers is a different team with him in the lineup. You can see it. They're 3-0. and He's made a difference in each game. You know, unfortunately, he wasn't on the court earlier, and, and maybe it is too late to save Rutgers' season, but it, it, it certainly has made it more interesting now. And, you know, if he indeed is here next year with the guys coming in, boy, you know, you can see that being quite a lineup. Yeah, this is like a two-level thing, right? One is it makes Rutgers' season interesting. It kind of salvages what was a lost season, and who knows what they can do. We'll see. You know, it's a it's a weird sport. Can they make a big run now and sort of you know get their name in the mix for the postseason? It's in front of them still. If they they got to win a lot of games, the margin for error is basically gone. But at least it's interesting, right? And and the other thing is, like you said, now you look at next year's team, and again, it's hard to project year to year now with the transfer portal. But you look at next year's team, and you wonder. Wow, they're bringing in some good guys. And here is a really good established veteran guard. That's what you need. You need some veterans. No one no one wins big in college basketball now without at least some veterans. This is an old sport. And Jeremiah Williams is a man. Like, you need men in order to do this. And you can't just do it with 18-year-old boys. You need men. He's been a man in his three games with Rutgers. Uh, and I also think the other thing is, you know, he's kind of brought out the best in his teammates, Steve, because – it has taken some pressure off of Derek Simpson, who's playing phenomenal defense, by the way. There's a reason why 
Steve Peichel plays him like the most minutes is because his defense is so good. He's taking some pressure off Simpson as far as, you know, ball handling, driving, needing to drive the lane um, and, and the scoring. And also uh, it allows them to play a three guard offense, a three guard uh, lineup with Jermichael Davis, who is a terrific defender and still like learning his offensive game. Now you can do that with Williams on the court. So another guy who could score. So Peichel's putting his best five guys out there defensively to start a game, and it's made a big difference. Well, you're right, and, and you're getting defense, you're getting scoring, and as you as you saw over the weekend, seven assists, right? So he, right. he is making guys around him better. So, um, again, really just hitting, checking a lot of boxes for Rutgers right now. And feeding Cliff Amori, who's had a, you know, sort of an up-and-down campaign and – he he's they've had trouble feeding him deep in the post where he needs the ball. So like you've seen some of that drive and dish action, pick and roll action uh, with Jeremiah. So that's another thing. And so, but the other, the last thing is Steve, it's just confidence, right? Like so much of college basketball is mental when you're dealing with college students and there's only five guys on a court at a time. There's a lot of variables that can't be quantified. As we've said many times, you know, Pykele had a great line last week. He said, Ken Palm doesn't die for loose balls. And it's the point of that is very true. I mean, it's that it's that there's things that you just can't measure in this sport and in all sports, but in this sport is there's a lot of those intangibles, maybe more than others. And that's confidence is the big, a big thing. And what you saw, you know, over the last three games was a Rutgers team that was gathering confidence, right? First, they came back from down big at Michigan. Then they fought off Maryland on the road in a, in a real rock fight. And then, they just dropped the boom, lowered the boom on a Wisconsin team that was looking to get on the bus from the two-minute mark in. And so now you've seen a team with a lot of confidence, Northwestern at home this week, a chance. You know, Northwestern's really good. Now, they haven't been really good away from home, so a chance for another good win and to keep the momentum going. So Rutgers now has come back from the dead, and like we said, it's a long season with a lot of twists and turns. Jeremiah Williams is a good story in that long season. All right, let's let's turn our attention to Seton Hall, which has also taken major twists and turns this year. Uh and they were left for dead in December. Then they have a red hot five weeks. Then they hit a big bump in the road, big curve, and they haven't quite been the same since that triple overtime loss to Creighton. Kadari Richmond took two games off because he was sore, wanted to heal his body. Uh, and then they just have not been the same team since. And so Seton Hall gets by Georgetown, which it happens. You know, it's not a great matchup for them. It's the Big East. The bottom line is you got to win the games. Uh, and then they get absolutely annihilated at Villanova, which is a movie we've seen before, but not, not with a Villanova team that's this quality. This is a lower quality Villanova team. They have talent, but they're not nearly the teams that, would you know destroy Seton Hall in the past under Jay Wright, and so alarming uh, to see that. And we reached the Jekyll and Hyde stage of Seton Hall season. Have they hit a wall? Are their starters exhausted because of the lack of a bench? Uh, Shaheen Holloway, you know, we got we only had five minutes with him. It's hard in five minutes to figure out what's going on after these games. We had five minutes with him. We didn't have any player access at Villanova, which I was disappointed in. You know, it's important. Fans, you know, want to hear the whole spectrum of what's going on. 
in the team's head. And the one thing Shaheen said was we couldn't practice because I had one guy who was sick, one guy whose hamstring was bothering him, and then other guys who needed time off to rest. And then he tells Gary Cohen in his radio broadcast, I have guys who think they're in the NBA taking days off, meaning like, you know, practice days off. And so it seems like the team has mentally hit a wall a little bit, Steve. Yeah. And listen, it certainly was not there. You know, it looked like they hadn't practiced very much for that game. They, they really right from the start. Um, and, you know, I listen, it, it's hard to, to, to balance, you know, wins over UConn Marquette Providence with a performance like this from the same team. So, you know, and, and, you know, really hurts with Seton Hall being a bubble team right now. And so is Villanova. So, you know, this was a game, even if you lost, you know, you needed to put in a competitive performance and, and that didn't happen. It was interesting that Holloway pulled his starters because, you know, they're down. I think they were down like 17 or something. And he pulled his starters midway through the second half. He just, he, he basically wanted to send them a message, right? They, like, you, you know, you, you, you have, you have no effort today. I'm not playing you, but he puts in his bench and then the league gets, the deficit gets even worse. So they took a, they took a 26 point loss. Whereas maybe if he leaves his starters in, they get it down to 10, 12, whatever, uh, and it's not as big of a metrics hit. But he felt the message was more important than the metrics hit. It's a be, it's an interesting philosophy. Now, like Willard had done that a bunch of times over the years. He would pull his starters in a, when they were getting their butt kicked midway through the second half to send a message. And usually he would get good results the next game, right? But you've now, you've now t- been dinged on the metrics too. Seton Hall drops nine spots in the net because of the margin of loss. So it's a different thing that the coach has to balance. So to me, with Seton Hall, they they still have it in front of them. It's just the road gets a little harder. But this week is now huge, Steve, because you have Xavier coming in Wednesday. Xavier's a quad two opponent. They beat Seton Hall by 20 on the road in December. They're better than their record, like Villanova, uh, also up and down. And then you have at St. John's Sunday, which I think is the most important remaining game on Seton Hall's schedule. It's your it's your best chance to add a fifth quad one win. When you get to five quad one wins, you're getting into the attention of we ha- we're going to get the committee's no- notice from the committee because what they really look at above all else is the, the teams you've beaten. Five quad one wins is a lot. And so it's a winnable – I mean, they beat St. – they crushed St. John's here. The game's at UBS, so it's not like it's on campus. It's at a neutral – not a neutral court, but a – you know, an arena where St. John's won't have as natural a home court edge. Uh, Seton Hall has matched up well with St. John's for a long time. St. John's has brought out the best in Kadari Richmond for a long time. It's a very winnable quad one opportunity. And uh, to me, it's huge. That's You let one slip away at Villanova. You got to go get one Sunday on Long Island. So if Seton Hall is going to get a split this week, the game that's more important is to get the win at St. John's. Get the quad one. If they win both, they'll be back in good shape and on pace to make the dance. Uh, obviously, there's still work left. If they lose both, they're in really big trouble. Uh, probably, you know, very probably NIT bound. They split, you know, sort of. We'll see. There's work to be done, but this is a huge week for the Hall, and it'll be interesting to interesting to see how Holloway gets their heads together, right? Steve, he's dealing with different guys now. This isn't St. Peter's. This isn't the mid-major mentality. He's dealing with high major mentalities and it's a different mindset that you have to push the right buttons with. 
Well, yeah. And, and listen, we are going to know a lot more about the direction of the Seton Hall season by, by the end of this week. I mean, it, these are so such big games. Just don't get swept. You know, and, and listen, sending a message to the starters, hopefully that's going to work. But I, I think, and we've discussed this many times on the podcast, I think the only way Seton Hall gets this thing to the finish line is if they get more out of the bench. You know, and and you saw that at Villanova, they just got nothing, right. and you 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 can't get nothing. Uh, they're they're going to have to solve that. Guys are going to have to step up step up uh, down the stretch here. I I, I just don't think they're going to have enough. You need two guys. Like you can't. You need seven guys. You need seven players in order to do this. So they they have five, and they need two more because if someone's having a bad game or in foul trouble, uh, or sick, you know, you need a guy to be able to come in and 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 hold the fort. So you need seven right now. They don't, they have, they have, I don't know. Sometimes they have seven, sometimes they don't. So they hadn't, they had no bench help against Villanova. So that's a thing to look for. So look, it'll be the other thing I'm be interested to see is the crowd on Wednesday at the rock, because the Seton Hall has since that Creighton game, the last two home games, they've not really drawn particularly well. They have not drawn students. Like you go to Villanova, Villanova is having a historically bad season by their standards, Steve. And their fans, we know they're frustrated. But they had a 1,000 students there behind the basket going crazy for the whole game. And, like, Seton Hall has not had that. Uh, and they, they they could use that. I don't know if they'll get it Wednesday. It's Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, Valentine's Day. Xavier is not a glamour opponent. I have a feeling it's going to be a dead building, and they're going to have to make their own energy. And, you know, when, when you see Seton Hall play on the road, you realize that that they they face a tougher environment. Uh, on their road games and their opponents do when they come to Newark most of the time, not all the time, most of the time. And so can I, they're going to have a huge crowd for their game at Butler next Saturday. That game is going to be almost sold out. Things are in works to get, you know, to have that place full, but that's a Saturday. But I think the Xavier game, the crowd this Wednesday is, it could make a big difference. So we'll see about that. I want to mention one other thing about Seton Hall. And that is uh, there was a really, really weird thing that happened Wednesday with Ed Cooley, I'm sure you're aware of it, Steve. You know, Ed, uh, Georgetown loses. Seton Hall student fan is is riding him. The, the student fans have been riding him all game, right? Yelling about Divine Providence, the documentary that didn't make him look so great. And uh, at the end of the game, the student says, because they're 1-10 in, in the Big East, okay, Georgetown. The student says, you're getting paid $7 million per win. So Cooley comes over, and I'm standing right there, and I'm quoting. So I, I'm going to say this on the podcast because I'm quoting, okay? Cooley says, you know what? I'm rich as a motherfucker. I'm rich as shit. And he had it with his arms out and his big big grin on his face. And the students, they were, like, shocked, and then they cracked up. And I was sitting right there trying to get my story online. Like, like this, like There's, like, 10 seconds left on the clock, Steve. The clock's ticking down. Yeah. And – and he's yelling this. So I actually stopped in my tracks, and I was actually a little later in posting my story than normal, and I had to get this in there, out there. And then it's one of those moments where, all right, I'm the only media member who heard it. I don't have it on recording or anything, but I mean, I heard it, and I just – you have to – you got to report it because it's so incredibly noteworthy, and it's one of those only in college basketball things. And, like, no – you'll never hear a coach say something like that in a college football game. No. They're not next to fans in college football, but, and it's also, that's like only in the Big East, right? The Big East has these outsized personalities. And so then we asked Cooley about it. He comes in the post game and I asked him, what, 
what was going on with that exchange? Did the students get under your skin? And he answered it at length. And so you got to love that, right? I mean, this is what this is why you love college basketball, Steve. It was a crazy moment. Well, but that and that Seton Hall student section is, you know, right at the bench. So yeah. there's always that interaction, you know, certainly between the reserves who are sitting down at that end, but the coach is always walking up and down. So he's getting some of it. So uh, yeah, you know, it, that's a part of the game for sure. I give Cooley credit for, for answering the question, for owning it. Um, it was said in good humor, but it was still, you know, that's a really, that's a really offbeat comment to make for someone in his position. And like, I don't know if any, any Georgetown fan wants to hear that when the team is one in 10, you know, if they were 10 and one, it might be different. Uh, but it was pretty wild. I kind of feel bad for Cooley in a way. I, you know, I don't, who knows what went on with his departure from Providence, what really went on behind the scenes, but it, I do kind of feel bad for the guy to have his, his rumors about his private life, you know, being raked over the coals sort of for the public. Um, it, you know, he, the guy does have kids and, so it's it is it is kind of crazy, but that's this is the way it is in the Big East. Like when they Patino had COVID, he's in his seventies. It's a serious thing, and the Seton Hall students come out wearing masks, surgical masks. I mean, to mock Patino with COVID. I mean, that's just part of the deal, man, in college basketball. And then against Creighton, they which is the new Villanova, you know, getting all the all the calls and all the breaks uh, against Creighton. The ref comes over and. And tells the security guard to quiet them down. I'm going to throw them out. And they weren't even saying anything out of the ordinary. Yeah. So what? They're yelling at Greg McDermott. You know what? That's what they do. So it was. A, it's been a crazy spot in that little hot spot in the corner in the rock. Well, let's see what they bring for Sean Miller. There's a lot of material there, and we'll leave it at that for Sean Miller and Xavier on Wednesday. So we'll see what the students come up with. All right, Steve. Uh, let's talk Mammoth, and we'll get to Princeton. And then want to throw a bone to NJIT. What's going on with Mammoth? There's this Jekyll and Hyde team, man. The home road splits are crazy. Tell us about it. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't make it up. Ten straight wins at home, ten straight losses on the road. Um, they just, you know, they, they really are unbeatable at home. They have played so well. They've beaten some good teams. And on the road, they can't beat, you know, just an average team. Yeah, so it, it will be very interesting. You know, they lost at Northeastern over the weekend. Xander Rice had 25, but they just can't do enough around him right now, especially on the road. The young guys just have not figured that part of it out. And uh, listen, somehow King Rice is going to have to get this solved because they have a lot of potential. But if you can't win on the road, it's going to be tough to get a good seed in the CAA tournament. And it's going to be, you know, a, a really tough slog through through the bracket because you're going to have to meet you know charleston or 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 some of those top teams early on uh so that it, it really is it's kind of it's kind of maddening to see how 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 different the team is home or away i've I thought this about the about Rutgers for a long time and that is because mom has had a pretty good home environment this year right when you sometimes yeah. it's like a, it's like a drug sometimes like you get use it as a crutch or for lack of a better term. And it's hard to function without that, that home crowd support. But what, why is this important for Mammoth? Like tell, what is the tournament format? Like what is, what seeds do they want to avoid in the CAA tournament? What's the, what's the big picture here? You know, with the rest of their regular season games. Well, the, the key, the key in the CAA tournament is the top four seeds go straight through to the quarterfinal. So if you can get a top four seed, you're in good shape. Now, had Monmouth won at Northeastern, they really had a legitimate path 
to one of those top four seeds because they they still had three home games to go. They had two road games coming up against 300 plus net teams. Now, I mean, you got to beat those teams wherever those games are, right? So, you know, they they had a path there. Now, if they can kind of pull it together, they still could. But right now, they're they're kind of mired in I think a tie for seventh. You know, it's a very crowded 14-team standings. So um, that's why it's important that they get this solved. You know, they're going to have to win some road games. They still could get up to the number four seed, but they're going to have to win on the road. All right, so that's where Mom is at. Princeton has an enormous game on Saturday. They have a game before then. They have Brown at home, which is a game they'll be heavily favored to win. And then comes the showdown with Yale. So Princeton sits in third place in the Ivy League right now. Uh, Cornell, then Yale, and they're going to have to probably go through Yale one way or another, right, Steve, to get to the NCAA tournament. They lost up there, uh, pretty pretty good game, solid competitive game up in New Haven uh, a few weeks back, and now they get Yale and Jadwin. So Princeton beats Penn this past week, and they sold out Jadwin, which is a great sign. Now Penn, of course, and Princeton is the real old and fierce rivalry, and it always is a big draw. I would expect Jadwin to be sold out or close to it for Yale. Uh, to me, if Princeton wants to win the Ivy League regular season title, which is important because it's a four-team tournament and the league has three really good teams, so the top seed gets a much easier draw in that in the semifinals, which are going to be at Columbia in March, there is really something tangible to be gained from winning the league's regular season title. And so if Princeton's going to do that, it's got to start Saturday. They have to beat Yale Saturday, okay? And it's a tough matchup. Yale's got a big-time forward, Danny Wolf, with NBA aspirations. Uh, you know, Princeton, Xavier Lee is having this tremendous year. I think he's got a real shot to win the Haggerty Award as the best player in the metropolitan area. But Princeton has to fire on all cylinders. It can't just be Xavier Lee and Caden Pierce. They got to get Matalaco. Matalaco has had a very up and down year, super talented, great leader, veteran, been through the wars. He has had, you know, game, ice cold games. He cannot have one of those. The, the, the ball's got to go through the hoop for him. They got to, they get the big three all have to fire for them to beat Yale, Steve. And I, I plan on going Saturday at Jadwin. It should be fun. And we know the Ivy League is really good this year. Oh, I, I, am, I envy you. It's going to be a great atmosphere there. And listen, you, you laid it all out. You got to beat Yale. You got to get that top seed. And and honestly, just to beat Yale, I think is going to be important. So you got to do it at home. Uh, big game, big game. One more Jersey mid-major to, to highlight this week, and that is NJIT. NJIT takes down Vermont at home, and then UMass Lowell at home, two of the best teams in the America East Conference they went from one league win to three, and Vermont, just to give you some context, they were unbeaten in the league and had won 23 straight conference games, the longest such winning streak in the country, in the country. NJIT under Grant Billmeyer, look, you knew it was going to be a rebuild, but when I saw them play Seton Hall in exhibition in October, I'm like, boy, he has some stuff to work with here. And Tariq Francis, a freshman guard out of Pittsburgh, had 57 points and 15 rebounds over the two games. How about Grant Billmeyer and the Highlanders, Steve? Yeah, and listen, just talking to him on the podcast last week, I mean, he was really confident about this group. He really liked them. You know, they had struggled a little bit uh, the week before that, but, you know, listen, he's he's done a great job, and they're trending upwards. That's what you want now. 
Yeah. So, and the thing is, keep, can you keep these guys? You have this good freshman nucleus. It's a lot of postgrads too. It's a weird team. It's all postgrads and freshmen. Can you keep these guys? You're really building something. And so, you know, building in some loyalty. NJIT also is a really strong academic institution. It's a great degree. There are reasons to stay. Uh, and so you would hope they stay. But for now, you see Grant Billmar can coach. And that, you know, he comes from a pretty good coaching tree, Kevin Willard's tree. I visited Kevin on Tuesday. Uh, last Tuesday, I saw him down in Maryland after Rutgers won down there. Look, Kevin's had better days, right? He's in Maryland. They're not playing well. The fans don't want to hear it. This is a that's a win now. Hang banners, hanging banners is only the only acceptable thing type of place. So Kevin's having a rough year, but he takes I know he takes great pride in his tree. He's rooting for his guys at Seton Hall, NJIT, uh, Wagner, George Mason. I mean, he's forty eight years old and he has this humongous coaching tree. So good for him. Grant Billmeyer is the latest in the long lines of capable. Seton Hall coaches. All right, Steve, that's where we're at. Thanks to Jeremiah Williams for coming on. Like I said, who could have thunk it? Not even Nostradamus. And that's why college basketball is the most interesting sport. This is Jersey Jump Shot. We'll see. Who knows what might happen between now and the next show next week, but we'll be watching and we'll see you then.